Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to local news in social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. And my guest today is a, a fellow I've kind of been after for quite some time. You all know him as uh, old Bill Clark. I see you down at uh, Jeff City at Capital City Productions. You've been a faithful and, and wonderful supporter of that organization for years and years. And we deeply appreciate uh, the work that you've done and the columns you've written and so on. So thank you. Publicly, thank you. Well, thank you. It's great theater. And, and, and it's good to see a hundred year old like yourself on stage <laughs> again and again. I remember you coming up and saying, Dalton, I don't know how you learn all those lines. I mean, you <laughs> <laughs> old man that you are. <laughs> what great. am I? What am I? 13 years older than you. Yeah, that's uh, well, not quite. I'm, my wife corrected me. I thought I was 77. She said, no, you're just 76, Dick. And okay. So I'm 12 years older than you about to be old. 13. Uh -huh, so. Right. I uh, grew up in Columbia. Did you grow up in Columbia? Nope. Grew up in Clinton. That's over in Henry County. When I grew up there, that was the baby chick capital of the world. And that's how I came to school journalism here. I was working in that chicken hatchery. Huh. And, and I wound up in the army for three years mm -hmm. and I was sitting on a hillside in Korea after the fight and stopped over there. And I said to myself, self, <laughs> I don't want to go back to that chicken hatchery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I got the GI bill You bet. and I'm going to use it. Mm -hmm. And here I am. <laughs> well, that was in the fifties. Then I came to J school in the fall of 54. Uh -huh. I got out of high school in 49 bounced around for a year or so and then joined the army because no one would hire an 18 year old no. and uh, mm. so i joined the army mm -hmm. and the draft was for two years and they wouldn't let you volunteer for the draft at that point so i had to volunteer for i had to sign up for three years oh let me tell you that last year that i was in the army i spent in korea and uh, it was the best thing that ever happened to me as a, as a person. I grew up in a Southern Baptist community. So there was prejudice all around. There was prejudice against women. There was prejudice against anybody who was not a white male. And when I wound up in Korea, I was assigned to be a truck driver and I couldn't even drive a car. So I wound up in a motor pool driving tractor trailer rigs and my whole crew, the, the, the guys who maintain things, the guys who helped me, uh, we hauled high octane aviation gas back and forth from the Incheon Harbor over the mountain and down to uh, our airstrip, which was a small army airstrip. And I soon discovered something that the Korean 
was no different than me. He had what's called a double epicanthic eye fold. We only have a single. So that double epicanthic eye fold gives him the look of most Asians, at least East Asians. And uh, that's the only difference. So if that's the only difference, then we're all equal. Mm -hmm. And that occurred to me early on. And I, I, I visited in Korean homes. I've written uh, numerous things about Korea uh, and it was a life changing experience. When I came back from Korea, came here to the university, one of the first things I got assigned to cover was Douglas High School. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. nobody wanted Douglas High School. So I was happy to get it. This is before integration uh, was ordered? This would have been four years before integration. By the time integration came around, I was pretty well known and, and, and had many, many, many friends in the Douglas School area. I also, by that time, had a boxing team and a weightlifting team. Oh. And they were and they were biracial. They were we had about as many whites as had blacks. Mm -hmm. And we learned to travel together on the road and find places to eat. And I can tell you some really interesting stories. One of them was in Jeff City at a place called, I think it was Jimmy's or Jerry's Drive-In. Hmm. When, when I gave the owner a new hat, it was a salad with dressing on it right on the top of his head because Ooh. he referred to my boxers with the wrong term. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And he says, I'll call the police. And I said, don't bother. I'll call them myself. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, when integration came, that boxing team made a difference at Hickman High School. By that <laughs> time, some of the guys were now athletes at Hickman. They were on that boxing team and the weightlifting team. Mm -hmm. We trained at what's now a sharp end. I mean, yeah. it was sharp end at that time. Mm-hmm. We trained where the post office is today and across the street where the parking garage is today. Right, right. And, and I had more friends in the black community than I had in the white. Uh, oh, my. And, and I was told many times that you were the only white person that came to our house socially. Hmm. We always had to go to somebody else's house. We, no one would come to our house. Well, mm -hmm. I never gave it a thought. Yeah. We might explain just a tad that, uh, even though Brown versus the Board of Education decision was in 1954, Columbia didn't uh, enact integration until 1960. Isn't that right? Well, actually, integration at Hickman High School was voluntary. I think in the, the year 55, 56, there were two black girls ah. enrolled, enrolled at Hickman. Okay. And it was not a very pleasant experience for them. Okay. And then I know in 1957, there was a black football player left Douglas and went over there. And uh, he later wound up being a longtime minister at uh, St. Luke's. So you're not uh, talking about Ray Hayes, are you? I'm talking about Raymond Hayes. Well, Raymond Hayes and is he, uh, an old friend of mine. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's mm -hmm. a good friend. <laughs> <laughs> Ray and but, Celestine. But, uh -huh. Yeah, Ray and Celestine. Mm -hmm. Raymond went there, set himself up to go to college. He knew integration was coming, but by the time the integration came, he was he was already uh, 
uh, out. He may have graduated in the spring of 60, but yeah. integration didn't come till after the graduation of 60. It came in the fall of 1960. Uh-huh. But when, when integration became mandatory, that principal told me one time, he says, you and your fish fighters, they quell more riots out here. They put down more problems hmm. than any of us because basically they had that reputation of being tough. Mm-hmm. And when and it seemed like the white fighters would go to the white kids that were trying to make a fuss and say, Hey, look, you don't 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 cross the line, buddy. Hmm. And the black fighters would do the same. Mm-hmm. So he told me that the, the people he expected least wound up being basically major role players and keeping the heat down in that school. Mm-hmm. I imagine your character building was going on at the same time your uh, physical training was going on. Yeah, the, the white kids, you know, we'd go to we'd go to box someplace and we couldn't we couldn't go eat we couldn't stop and eat and and we would for instance if we boxed on a cart up in kansas city i found a place up there called i think it was called the golden point out on old highway 40 east there wasn't any 70 at that time and on on 40 east and i would go in and and uh, and i would order 50 hamburgers <laughs> well, they didn't care who was eating them as long as I paid for them, but you sure. better eat them out in the car. You can't come in here. <laughs> yeah. So he said, kids learned that. They learned that yeah. uh, the hard way. Yeah. The white kids understood where the black kids stood socially. Mm-hmm. And the black kids appreciated the white kids for standing up for them. I just want equality. Yeah. And if, if, if we got to pull the underdog up, yeah. We'll pull him up. But yeah. by that same token, if somebody's trying to dominate, I believe in knocking them straight down uh-huh. to uh-huh. where they to where they're at the level of whoever it is they're trying to override to dominate. How did this play into your career as you got out of J school? When I got out of J school, I was immediately hired by the Lexington, Kentucky leader. Oh. And the managing editor of the leader was a, was a historical columnist named A.B. Guthrie. A.B. Guthrie. Mm-hmm. You may remember, I can remember two of his books. One of them was called The Big Sky, and the other one was The Way West, I believe it was. And there was a third one. There was a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And they had hit the bestseller list. And he was, <laughs> he was a typical managing editor. His hair went everywhere. He had uh, three-day growth of beard, and he smoked. Hmm. Uh, and when I walked in, he said, another one of those guys from the University of Missouri, this ought to be unreal. <laughs> uh, but he hired me. <laughs> but he hired me. Well, I didn't stay there very long. And I, uh, I had been a, a paper boy for the Kansas City Star to work my way through, help work my way through college after I got married as a sophomore. So I'd been in Kentucky a few months and I got a call from the guy who had the Kansas City Star Agency here. And he said, I've had a heart attack and they've told me that I can no longer have management, but I says, I own the franchise here. Would you come back and be my manager? Wow. And he offered me to, he offered me twice what I was making in, in Kentucky. 
Uh-huh. And my wife and I, we had one child at that time. So I said, we're headed, we're headed <laughs> back to Columbia. And I've been here ever since. Well, the J school actually had me come back. Uh, I graduated in January of 1958. And they actually had me come back and work as a graduate assistant, but I wasn't enrolled at school. <laughs> What they want me to do was was cover Hickman High School and write a column, write a bowling column, and what have you. Mm -hmm. So I never went to class, Mm -hmm. but and and they and that was working pretty good till (laughs) I got into it with the pro wrestlers out at KOMU. They were having a show out there, and we had a discussion. And I got, I went in the ring and got one of them down and then the next two threw me uh, over the ropes and somebody grabbed me from behind and I decked him and it was the station manager. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So so I was done at, I was done at Missouri and I was gone, long gone. You know how (laughs) to mix it up. (laughs) Yeah, don't ever grab somebody from behind because I tell you what, when I bring that elbow straight back, I can hit you harder that way than I Mm -hmm. can going forward with the fist. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the Tribune uh, put me on, this would have been in 19, late 60 or early 61, and they put me on as a bowling columnist first. Hmm. And in order to make ends meet, I got a job as the assistant recreation director for the city of Columbia. Hmm. So I was, I was running a boxing team. I'm working with the weightlifters. Uh, and we eventually had five kids. So I'd go to work at the Tribune like at six in the morning and I would work till nine and I would go to the city. Oh, wow. Then I, and I was officiating at that time also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes I'd go days without really going to bed. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and I stayed at the city. I had a $35,000 budget when I went there to run the recreation program. Uh-huh. That's not parks. That was just recreation. Mm-hmm. When I left, we had about 10 times that budget, but wow. I left early in 1968 to take a job as a scouting supervisor for the Pittsburgh pirates. And uh, I had umpired all over the, this part of the country uh, for years. I'd gone to umpire school when I was 17, back in 1950. Oh, uh, and uh, a nice trade to have on in their back pocket. Yeah, and, and when the when the old scout from actually scout from Milwaukee put me on as a paid part timer, mm-hmm. I got fifty dollars every Christmas. And that worked out pretty good because I got a feel for scouting that way. Mm-hmm. I knew what people were looking for and what and what to look for, how to look for it. And uh, Pittsburgh had hired me then as a part-time scout, and they paid me like five hundred bucks a year, mm-hmm. and gave me some uh, assignments: go out and cover the American Legion tournament in Kansas and so forth. So mm-hmm. I'd steal city time and do that. Uh, so (laughs) this was another job is this your this is what sick leave is for you know (laughs) is this your third or fourth job that you're you're stacking on here oh at one time well this is all a mixed up mess in 1962 i got the urge to go back into pro baseball as a scout where i had been in 1956 so anyway 
when I came back from there, I had three kids and couldn't even pay the rent. I had to borrow mm -hmm. a credit card to get home from uh, the Pioneer League and from uh, uh, Idaho, Montana and that area. Mm -hmm. And I had to go to work. I went, that's when I went to work for the, the city, uh, basically at that same time. And uh, I would go to, worked at the Minute Inn. Do you remember the Minute Inn? Yes, the Minute Inn. Uh-huh. I do. I, I worked in there from 11 at night till 7 in the morning. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. And it, and then I would go, this is before I became a real regular at the Tribune. Then I would go home, take a shower, and go to the city at, at 8 o'clock and, and work. Hmm. I did that for over a year. Hmm anyway it's hard on a on a relationship uh family I think. yeah 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 i'm sure it did mm -hmm. uh, my wife i've been married and be 66 years in august mm -hmm. and i often wondered why why did she stay <laughs> yeah so <laughs> Because she was a nice person, somebody else would have been happy to share with her. So, oh, wow. <laughs> but she stayed with me. When I when I signed on as a part timer with Pittsburgh, that rolled into a full time job. When the regular scout who lived in Kentucky left here, left and went to the Cincinnati Reds, and that left an opening here. And since I had been working closely with him, they hired me away from the city and away from the Tribune during the baseball season. And that meant no more coaching the boxers and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, I was I was gone. I was on the road, and I had about seven states that first year. Mm. And at the end of the first year, I was hired by the Seattle Pilots. Oh my! And they went bankrupt after the one year in Seattle and became the Milwaukee Brewers. Oh well, that so was a, went, a good move to come back I, to Milwaukee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Kind of around the horn, uh -huh, <laughs> different right. club. But anyway, I worked for Milwaukee for one year, and then the people who had uh, been at Pittsburgh before I took a full-time job there, they were now running the ball club over at Cincinnati, the Reds. They hired me over there, and they gave me the Upper Midwest. Mm -hmm. And I signed a contract, and it was a pretty good kick up in pay uh, from what Milwaukee had paid. And I thought, I know this area, so this will be great. Mm -hmm. And then after I'd signed on about two weeks, they say, we changed your territory. You got Chicago. Ooh. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, there's a lot of difference between North Dakota and Chicago. Oh, my. <laughs> and, and then I spent 25 years working in the Midwest. Uh, and I had a variety of, but always Chicago was in there, Chicago, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, and so forth. Uh, did your family move around or did you keep Columbia as a home base? No, we, or? Stayed, we stayed right here. Uh -huh. We stayed right here in Columbia. Oh, There's okay. no reason to leave. Yeah. Along came, uh, what year would it have been? 1991. I covered a, an international tournament in Canada. I had three provinces in Canada. Uh, I go to cover an international tournament actually back in Three Rivers, Quebec. Hmm. And that led me into the international world. Ah. So in 1989, 
the Reds and I parted company. Marge mm-hmm. Schott had come in. And if you remember Marge, the, the owner that had the Nazi armband on and so forth and so on, she got suspended. But before she got suspended, she fired a bunch of us. Hmm. And Atlanta picked me up. The Atlanta Braves picked me up immediately. In fact, they tried to hire me the year before. So I went immediately to Atlanta. And, I, and, and after a couple of years, uh, I had become their international director. Hmm. And uh, I said, well, where do I go? And they said, that's what we hired you for, to figure out where to go. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so I, all of a sudden, I had the world. I had everything except Puerto Rico and the United States. The rest of it was mine. Wow. It was up to me to find the ball players, And the hmm. world is big, I might add, hmm. to find the ball players in hmm. the world that we could sign. Mm-hmm. So that's before the internet, right? Oh yeah. In fact, they thought I should have a uh, a cell phone. Oh. We we had mobile phones at the. Well, I guess uh, actually it was a satellite phone. That's what we had at that point. Right. But it cost eleven hundred dollars a month, so they decided they didn't need to hear from me at all. <laughs> they weren't going to pay eleven hundred dollars a month for a telephone. <laughs> So I spent, I actually spent from 1989 until, until I left baseball, what would have been 14, 15 years later, mm. I spent in the international world. Wow. And I, I never went knew to, that. I, yeah. And I went to about 45 different countries mm. and, uh, and I signed about 20 guys out of the international world to play in the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Probably the best known one in this part of the world was Raphael Forcall, who was the shortstop on the St. Louis Cardinals the last time they won the World Series. Oh, okay. So, uh, and he got a whole 8,000 bucks to sign. Not much in those days. Prices are going up (laughs) since then. So, anyway. So then you came back... uh after sort of retiring from international work to Columbia? Yeah, actually, I got fired. Mm-hmm. But, but it was not called firing. It was called changing directions. <laughs> and what had happened in the last several years that I worked, I saw too many families almost destroyed by the attitude of ownership in Major League Baseball an owner or a general manager would he'd have a good scouting staff and would be doing just fine but then he would hire a, a buddy of his to be the scouting director or the assistant gm or what have you and all of a sudden that scouting staff would be torn apart and here would be a guy who'd spent 15 20 years with the ball club and they would send him packing basically Hmm. and families would would be Hmm. would families would almost be destroyed because if a guy spent that much time in baseball he doesn't have a whole lot of (laughs) background to fall back on except in baseball Mm -hmm. well that bothered me considerably Mm -hmm. so i was with the san diego padres at that time that was my last hookup was with the padres I decided I'd start a scouts union. Well, you know, plantation owners didn't care for 
anybody to come in and organize their plantation workers. Right. In some parts of the world, that can get you killed. Well, mm -hmm. it, it didn't take long until I was out of baseball. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one wanted to, no one wanted to hire a labor organizer. Mm -hmm. Even though you were attempting to make it uh, possible for those families and, and workers to have some stability in their lives. They didn't care. The ownership didn't care. They don't right. care today. Yeah. They don't care today. That, that, that effort did force a, a few things to make it better, but uh, I understand the scouts are still on a, on, on a 10 day contract, 10 day salary agreement with what it amounts to. Wow. And it's unilateral. You can't hmm. quit and walk off and go to somebody else. Hmm. Uh, you're owned. You are owned. Oh, and, wow. uh, but they can give you 10 days notice, give you the pay for 10 days and say, see you later. Of course, at that time, you can go to work for somebody else, but that's not right. So anyway, I, I said, I've been here for 36 years in pro baseball. It's probably time to quit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I came home and thought that I could help the problems on the street. Found out that people carry guns now instead of knives. Mm -hmm. and you don't go down and intrude into an argument on the street because you get shot. Yeah. So that was a disappointment to, to me not to be able to immediately go back into the life that I had known 20, what, 40 years earlier by that time. Sure. And when you can settle things on the street. Mm -hmm. but anyway, Hank Waters wanted me to come back and and write one column a week. Hmm. And then after I started to work, do one column a week, uh, I put in a request to do two columns a week. Mm -hmm. So that meant double my pay, <laughs> which was minimal, I can right, tell you. Right. <laughs> Hank didn't get up off the nest egg very quick. <laughs> so uh, anyway, what, what year did you start your first column? Well, when I, when I came back out of baseball, Mm -hmm. I, my first column was written March 12th, 2004. 2004. Okay. So that's 17 years ago. Well, I'm trying to put you and my dad, uh, into a timeline because I was there before him, right? He presented Hank with his first trial column in July, 2006. And Hank yeah, well, said, he... Oh, okay. Yeah. When he came back, when your dad came back here, uh, I was doing a history column. Yes. Because uh -huh. the guy who had been doing it died. Okay. And, and, and Jim Robertson said, you want to do the history column? And I said, yeah, fine. He says, can you have one tomorrow? And I said, no, <laughs> I need a week. I need a week. So your dad called me and he says, where do you get all this information <laughs> for the history column? So mm -hmm. I told him. Mm -hmm. And and he took it from there, because mm -hmm. he he didn't he didn't he didn't know about the various, uh, for instance, uh, William Switzer's eighteen eighty two history of Boone County and so forth. Right. And he had the time and the finances to go ahead and really do a fine job mm -hmm. of compiling history, and he found a good guy to work with here in town to to help. Yeah. Well, he, he admired you uh, greatly, I know. 
mutual admiration. I guess I kickstarted him and then got out of the way. <laughs> but I did about, before the Tribune uh, let me go, I did about close to 3,000 columns. Oh, wow. For them from uh, the 12th of March in 2004 until they, mm -hmm. they sent me packing in 2017. I was so, doing five columns a week and so five forth. Columns. Yeah, right. Okay. Today, my guest is Bill Clark, sometimes known as Old Bill Clark, has been uh, in various careers throughout the world, including Columbia, Missouri at the Tribune and uh, now on Patreon. So I knew you mostly, besides your history column, you would cover a lot of uh, theater in the region. Yeah. What, what kind of what was the name of that column it had no name oh okay just, just your my picture. face just my picture and that yeah. was it still that way <laughs> oh <Old> bill <laughs> oh bill clark okay yeah if the picture doesn't run them run them off they'll go ahead and read what's underneath <laughs> i have no musical ability at all none and uh as they say, I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, but I know what I like. Mm -hmm. And what I like is what a lot of other people like, particularly people my age or no more than 30 years younger than I am. In other words, from 50 up, I know what that crowd is going to like. Okay. And, and I had no problem voicing my opinion about you need to go. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I've, for years, I've used this thing on a, a, basically a review of a entertainment someplace, whether it's music, theater, or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, how to get your tickets. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's, that, that winds up how to get your tickets. And the last thing is, uh, if I like the show, it'll always say, and you'll be glad you did. Ah, uh, yes. Uh -huh. So, and if I don't like the show, I don't panic. I just ignore it. It's not yeah. there anymore. Well, you gave us a lot of good reviews. I'll have to say down in well, Jeff city was... at capital city players and then Rob's uh, capital city productions. I tell you what, we've got three theaters here in central Missouri that basically are professional capital city productions is a community theater. It's not a professional house. It's, mm -hmm. But Lyceum Theater over at Air Rock is uh, an equity theater, and so is the rep, uh, Maples Rep up in Macon. Mm -hmm. And those three places, well, let's put it this way. There are three equal places. Some of them use the professionals. Some of them use amateurs who are professional. Mm. And that's Jeff City, and that's mm -hmm. you. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and about 10 years ago, I started doing this, breaking the seasons down into three from the 1st of January to Memorial Day. Mm -hmm. And then from Memorial Day to Labor Day, the summer season. And then from Labor Day until the end of the year. And then I would list the best things I saw. Sometimes if there were a lot of them, I'd split them up to top 10 or 15 musical performances, top 10 or 15 theatrical performances. And I do that three times a year. 
And it got to the point where if I hadn't been to see some show, a director would call me up and say, you haven't been, you haven't been to see my show yet. Ooh. Uh-huh. Ooh. He wanted, he wanted a piece of that, uh, yeah. that uh, publicity. Yeah. And I didn't blame him. Yeah, I did. A, I did a lot of theater and of all things, classical music. Hmm. And uh, about three years ago, yeah, maybe four years ago now, Robertson was still at the Tribune. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a call from him, and he says, we want you to sit at our table, uh, the Missouri Symphony Society and the conservatory there. We're having a big uh, fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Well, I had tickets to something else. Oh. And, and Jim said, no, you got to come here. <laughs> so... What I didn't know was he had committed me to be there. And, and, and then the biggest surprise in the world uh, was that I was given the Legacy Award by, by the Symphony Society. Wow. There's only been one given. They haven't given it to anybody else, at wow. least as I know of. That's so, cool. Very cool. And, 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 I, and I tell people, you know, I grew up on the Grand Ole Opry. Mm-hmm. And I also grew up on the National Barn Dance out of WLS in Chicago. Oh, uh, and, and when they had Lula Bell and Scotty and Eddie Peabody on a five-string banjo, <laughs> uh, and suddenly, suddenly I'm writing about opera. I mean, real grand opera. <laughs> Come on, yeah, I give me a break. Huh? <laughs> I could compare it to the Grand Ole Opry and did. <laughs> That's cool. That's wonderful. Well, uh, you and I had um, actually had kind of a common experience. Uh, Mine was a little before yours. uh, And you got the notoriety and I did not. But uh, we've both been stopped by the police. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we have. (laughs) I'll I'll briefly tell mine uh, because... Uh, nobody really heard about it, except I might have mentioned it on this show sometime in the past. But it was actually after I had been working on the set at Capital City Players back in 2007. And it was late at night and, and I was tired and hungry and I was driving home and I and I made a rolling stop uh, and onto a Major Street, Stadium Boulevard. Didn't see any traffic on either direction. And, and then the, the policeman's lights came up and he, he pulled me over. And, and uh, lo and behold, when I rolled down my window, there was first time in my life, rage just spewed out of my mouth at this innocent guy. I didn't know him. And, and I didn't know what was, I, I was just, I was not in control of myself. <laughs> and he, Finally, he asked for my license, and he went back and then came back to the car. And, and again, rage spewed out of my mouth. Well, of course, he gave me a ticket. <laughs> you know, if I'd been sweet, I'm sure it would just been a, a warning and on my way. And had anybody been at my classroom from the administration for the next month and seen me continue my self-right i'm blah, 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 blah. in front of my students 
I would have been fired. You know, there wasn't nothing, to, no, no holds barred. But uh, kind of luckily, I, I came to my senses finally and, and turned it into a teaching moment because I realized why it had happened. And it's because I had heard so many stories from my black students about being stopped just because they were driving while black. And, and I had, I didn't realize that I had stored up kind of a, a, you know, the, the analogy of the two wolves in your heart and the angry, violent, vengeful wolf and the loving, kind, merciful wolf. And well, I'd been feeding this, uh, angry, violent, vengeful wolf for years and didn't realize it, but that old wolf had just spewed out all of that stuff to that policeman. So when I saw you being, um, I don't know, uh, put on the, the spit, so to speak, uh, because of an incident where you were stopped in Columbia, I knew, I felt as though I knew just where you were and what was happening. And uh, I don't think anybody else realized maybe you were just stopped on a routine sheriff stop, but it hit you in a way that you probably felt the same thing of what people have been dealing with for years and years and years. I don't know. I'm going to guess on that. Well, yeah, I, I felt profiled. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what basically what happened I'd be out of my gym on uh, Grace Lane, and that's just a block south or southwest of I-70. And uh, I came up to a stop sign. There was a car about a block behind me. There wasn't anything. That's a T road there, and there wasn't anybody coming in either direction. I stopped, and in order to turn right, you basically have have to turn right so you can see what's coming to the left. And and I stopped and 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 I took a look, and then I I went on right, and I went about a block, and all the red lights go on. And I thought it was an emergency vehicle, and I pulled over in the middle of an intersection. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I and hear then you. The, then, it, then it pulled in behind me. Well, I rolled out of the intersection about 50, 60 yards over to the shoulder, and uh, now the sirens are going. And man, they, what I didn't realize was they were in pursuit because I had moved the car when it stopped. Mm -hmm. So they were in hot pursuit. Yeah. And that's the, that I had, that was an old Toyota that had wound up with 473,000 miles on it for blue. <laughs> and all over the back bumper, there were stickers of, of uh, Democrats and, uh, you know, save the world and so forth. So what they had here was, an aging hippie, obviously. And, you know, this guy is, uh, is this old car, a beat up car with all these, these liberal bumper stickers on it. This is a pretty good guy to pull over. And what I didn't realize was it was a training exercise. Mm -hmm. And it was a young a female 
uh, deputy being trained. So I pull over and, and, and I had a few things to say to her mm -hmm. because I didn't think that I, I, I remember telling her what was the danger. Mm -hmm. I normally have the blinker on. And you said I didn't have sign, but there was no traffic except mm -hmm. behind me. Mm -hmm. Did I stop at the stop sign? Yes, you stopped at the stop sign. Mm -hmm. Well, then what's your problem? Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't have your your blinker on. Mm -hmm. Okay. i tell you what that cost me. It cost me a job. Mm -hmm. It cost me a $111 fine. Mm -hmm. And it caused my insurance to double. Mm -hmm. Because that was a role, moving violation. I didn't have any other moving violations. Hadn't had for six or eight years so that really did not sit too well we'll put it that way sure sure and uh heavy consequence uh, for a training exercise yeah it was a, i didn't realize the training exercise until the sheriff until the sheriff goes on a video and points out that this this was a training exercise mm -hmm. and it was done perfectly well okay Mm -hmm. Depends on your point of view. They could have uh, let you know ahead of time that all you needed to do was turn without putting your blinker on, and then we'll pull you over. This is a training exercise. But yeah, in, that's right. <laughs> but, in, but instead, <laughs> they intimidate in a way that, particularly those of us that have some age on us, we get pretty uh, riled over sure. some petty little thing like that yeah i had a i was at a i guess it was the show me games had a, a get together a few days later and after the sheriff put out the video of that arrest and you probably saw it i never have i wouldn't do any honor of looking at it mm -hmm. but uh but it had uh, it got over a million hits mm -hmm. nationally and for for a month my wife and I were called by Blue Lives Matter, and they called us every profane, ugly name that you can can feature. Mm -hmm. I got a list of 30 some of those people, mm -hmm. and I didn't do anything with it, but I thought about, and I may still yet one of these days, you got me all incensed now. <laughs> uh, I, may, I may take after them next, so uh, let them see how it sounds on their end. Mm -hmm. uh, but they called me every name, every vile, vulgar, low life name you can imagine, because mm -hmm. I defied the law. Mm -hmm. Well, the law, in a way, defied the citizen. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it, to me, it was just simply a typical target somebody who looks pretty harmless here. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, the Tribune took the article I wrote edited it a little bit, cooled it off a little bit, and ran it. They published it and in their course, paper. Yeah. They published it, right. Mm -hmm. And of course, then all sorts of problems, all the rednecks in the world uh, called the Tribune, demanded that I be executed probably. And uh, they called me in and said, we're going to stand behind you. Oh, We're going to stand behind you. But we'd like for you to do your next column to apologize for the young lady that, that you insulted. Mm -hmm. So I did in a way. 
And the last thing, last paragraph I wrote was, but the truth remains, I was targeted. Mm -hmm. And they cut that out. Uh -huh. And the next day they called me and said, you're suspended. Hmm. And my comment to that was, you ran the column. Yeah. Why did you suspend me? Mm -hmm. All you had to do was throw it in the trash. Mm -hmm. So let's say I haven't been on speaking terms with the Tribune since then. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but you are still a writer. And I think we, yeah. need, I think we need to tell our, our listening audience that you uh, can be found on Patreon.com. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm on the internet five days a week. I do three regular columns, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Mm -hmm. I do a history column on Thursday and I do a birding column on Sunday. Oh, okay. and I've learned how to steal. I've learned how to steal pictures off of it <laughs> everywhere <laughs> in the internet <laughs> and, and give credit where credit is due. Uh -huh. But, uh, I'm, I'm my own editor. And once again, I'm doing a lot of, uh, of entertainment. I've also gone back to columns I wrote for the local newspaper in 1953 mm. and 54 in Korea. And I've gone back to use some of them lately. Wonderful. Uh, and, and found out that I was a better writer in 1953 <laughs> than I am now. So, uh, oh. but, to, to get there, you have to go to patreon.com backward slash yield Clark. Ye, that's Y-E. Y-E. O-L-D. O-L-D Clark. All right. Ye old Clark, right. Ye old Clark. And then you become a uh, patron of Ye old Clark. And is there a right. minimum to become a patron? Yeah, you have to, you have to pay for it. Uh, if you get old, about 21, depending on the month, 20 to 22 columns a month, it costs you 12 bucks a month. Uh -huh. And if you only want the bird column, it comes out once a week. So you get four on occasionally five and that's $4 a month. Uh -huh. okay. If you want the history column, same thing, $4 a month. Mm -hmm. If you only want the three columns during, during the week, that's $9 a month. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you added all that up, that's uh, $17 a month, but you can get the whole shooting match for 12. <laughs> well, we might, and, uh, we might say that patreon.com supports uh, musicians, artists, writers, uh, a whole host of people that uh, you can actually become one of their patrons. Uh, you can get videos and music and various things uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Still on the Hill out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, but uh, they're friends of ours and uh, we're patrons of their uh, Patreon page. And Jack Williams, uh, he's a musician uh, out of a similar area. And uh, you can find people that, that you can support uh, financially because a lot of these, particularly during COVID, uh, that was some of the only ways these musicians could uh, have an income was uh, through their Patreon page. Yeah, and and Patreon is, is so secure 
that when people's credit cards run out, that's the way you pay for things with Patreon is with a credit card. Mm-hmm. And a credit card expires. I now have, what is it, 14, 18, whatever it is, people who could not get back into Patreon hmm. once their credit card expired. Whoa. So, so I now do uh, a second mailing every column. I go through Patreon, post it, and do the things I'm supposed to do. And then I send out an email Mm -hmm. uh, to those who couldn't get back into Patreon. Wow. Interesting. And I collect from them. I I collect from them by check. (laughs) Yeah. Four months at a time. Yeah. Very interesting. Glad to hear that. So where did this birding come along? Uh, We've just started to go uh, with a group it's kind of a Columbia Jeff city uh, birding group. We've gone on a few uh, places to see the birds. Uh, When did you start birding? Well, I started in, uh, would have been in December, I think 1972. Mm-hmm. I believe, wow. or three. Okay, long I'd have to go ago. back and look at the column I wrote about it at that time. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the Tribune, uh-huh. and it was on a Saturday morning, and in walked about four people, primarily women in their middle age. Mm-hmm. And they went up to this. There was only two of us at the Tribune that day, the city editor and the uh, and me it's over on the sports desk. We had a Sunday morning paper, so the staff didn't come in until later in the day. And they, these women went up to the city editor and they presented him with all of this statistics from the Christmas bird count, the Audubon Society's Christmas bird count. Right, right. And, oh, he looked that all over and he says, that looks like a sports story to me. Go to that guy over there. <laughs> so they came over <laughs> and... I was known at the Tribune as the king of agate, agate type. I loved doing charts and, and standings and box scores. I, I loved it. And they hated me in the back shop because of that. Oh. And do all that, do all that agate. And I saw lots of agate there. Oh my, there was a, there was a ton of agate. So I said, okay, I'll do it. What is it? <laughs> they said, why don't you go along with this now? We're going to go next week on on this bird count mm-hmm. so i did i did a whole page in the tribune on sunday on uh, it was maps and everything oh my it was, they thought i was could walk on the water <laughs> but uh i went out with them there next saturday and i was intrigued because at that time and i tell this to everybody who asks I knew three birds at that time, three. <laughs> I knew Thanksgiving turkey, Christmas goose, and oh. Kentucky fried chicken. That was uh. about right at that time. I had never had any interest in birds whatsoever. Oh, okay. So I came home from that, that Christmas count that day, which would be now, what, uh, almost 50 years ago. Yeah, right. And I said to my wife, why don't we put up a bird feeder? And of course... It was Christmas time, and there was all kinds of birds around looking for free food. Sure. So we did, and we still do. Mm-hmm. And and in the process since then, I got involved 
back in, in February of 2006 with, with the State Audubon Society and a project they called CACHE, C-A-C-H-E, which means Conservation Area Checklist. Hmm. And there are about 1,050 conservation areas in the state. It's oh. the biggest, it's the, it's, the, it's the most varied and the largest state conservation department in the country. It is the model for everybody else wow. because of our eighth of a cent sales tax um, that the politicians keep trying to get their hands on and can't because it's a constitutional amendment and you're not going to mm-hmm. change it. So uh, I, another woman, Edge Wade is her name here in town. She and I got in a race to see who could get to all 1,050 of these conservation areas first. Took three years, but she's added so much to that. She is the consummate birder here in town. You need to do a story with her sometime. Okay. But I now have been to every one, all but five of those 1,050. Hmm. And they're in the middle of the Mississippi River, or there's two of them in the middle of Truman Lake and I don't have a boat and that old Toyota would not run on the top of water so I, I, I've never been there and probably never will be but uh, it was it you talk about learning the state when you go to all 114 counties mm-hmm. and you learn this state oh my I've been down more gravel roads than, than mm. you can count I've had flat tires considerably until I went to heavy duty tires and then I was broke paying for them. <laughs> but uh, the power of that conservation department and, and the magnitude, they have over a million acres that they own or manage mm. in the state. Mm. And it's all, their only income from the state is the eighth of a cent sales tax. They get not one penny from the state legislature. So the legislators are, are they're stymied. They, there's no way that mm-hmm. they can get what they want out of mm-hmm. that tax. Uh-huh. Sorry, buddy. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best used tax in the country because the department knows it has to operate within that tax, eighth of a cent tax, that they can't turn to somebody like the state park system they're they're governed by department of natural resources and they can get funds cut or added as the legislature decides to not the department of conservation so wonderful they're efficient and they are the model for 49 other states Hmm. glad to hear that but thank you but I've got about 2,000 birds scouting, and the internationally gave me a chance to. I got if I look over here across from where I'm looking that way, there must be probably 40 field guides from around the world over there that ah. I used when I was when yeah. I was out in, in baseball uh, scouting around mm-hmm. the world. So I got a couple of thousand on the, on my life's list uh, <laughs> around the world. Some very interesting things. It's a great relaxer. Oh, okay. Well, old Bill Clark, our uh, hour has come to an end, uh, real close anyway. I want to give you a chance just to put out whatever you'd like to say for Columbia well, and, and all the folks around the world that are listening. 
What I'd like to say is this. I've been involved with, with the problems of integration and segregation and prejudice ever since I was a little kid. I grew up in a, in a prejudiced uh, town, uh, in a prejudiced church, and, and I have tried to live a life to overcome that. And I thought at one time that this country would overcome it. But I, in many ways, I, I can't see much improvement between 1950 and 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, things, things are different, but the same. Yeah. We still have, we still have racism and within racism, we have two races that will not really reach out and shake hands with the other. Uh, and both sides are, are guilty. Uh, we've got a couple of groups here in this town who absolutely will not deal work with the police because they are the police and we don't want to have anything to do with them and so forth. And I could give you a two hours on this anytime you want it because I would love before before I go to the big weight room in the sky, I would love to see integration actually happen down in the gut. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought at one time I could be a factor in that. That was what when we back in the 60s, I thought I could be a factor in that direction. Mm -hmm. But no one wants to listen to an old white guy at this point, not even the white people. So. Mm -hmm. You, you plug along, you write some columns, you make people mad and good. Uh, that's, that's what a columnist does, it, it occasionally wake them up. Uh, I gotta be a little careful so I don't libel myself, <laughs> but uh, I, I have people say, well, I don't know why you wrote that column. Uh, because it makes you uncomfortable, that's why I wrote it. So if you're uncomfortable, I'm taking a step forward. I'd love to be a voice in the community mm -hmm. and still try on occasion. Certainly. Well, you have been a voice in the community and I just want to say thank you. And I love you and look forward to our next time together. And friends, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.